sellers will only sell to people who have in-house product management company just because there's that perception that if they have their own in-house product management company, they're more credible than someone who doesn't, which may or may not be actually true. It's just a perception thing. Isn't it just the best when a software comes out that makes your life easier, makes you more money, and by the way, it's free? Well, welcome to Stessa, today's best ever sponsor. Stessa is a smarter income and expense tracking software for property owners. It allows you to track, manage, and communicate the performance of your real estate assets. So basically, it helps you make more money by looking at your properties in one dashboard. It's a beautiful dashboard, by the way. And it shows you the KPIs, the key performance indicators that you care about. What's the value? How much cash flow are you getting? What's the debt that you have on the properties? What are you bringing in monthly? What are you bringing in annually? And it allows you to have a quick snapshot, not only of your properties, but also come tax time, it's a breeze because you can scan receipts and invoices directly from the phone app and Stessa will automatically read and categorize them for you. No more data entry. It's been talked about in Forbes, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and all it takes is just a few minutes to add your properties, link the accounts, and everything updates in real time. Without Stessa, I was looking at my portfolio on an infrequent basis. I'm talking about my single family home portfolio. I got three single family homes, and I didn't realize that I had trapped equity. But if I was looking at it from a dashboard that Stessa has, then I would have realized that, hey, I got a portfolio value of X and I've got debt on it of Y. Holy cow, look at all this trapped equity. I'm missing out. And with Stessa, that won't happen. So go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. And it's free. It's free. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. So each week, we air a two-part podcast series about a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document or spreadsheet for you to download for free. All of these documents and the past and future Syndication School series can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is part eight of an eight-part series entitled How to Raise Capital from Passive Investors. So, by the end of this episode, assuming you've listened to parts one through seven, you should know everything that you need to know about raising money from passive investors. So, kind of just reviewing what we've learned so far, you've determined your mindset towards raising money, if you have any fears or limiting beliefs, 
as well as how to overcome those fear or limiting beliefs. You also learn why someone will invest with you, which is trust. You learn the differences between a joint venture and a syndication, as well as the differences between a 506B and 506C investment offering. You learned 12 ways to find people to invest in your apartment syndication deals, from thought leadership platforms to bigger pockets to volunteering to advertising and everything in between. You also learn the next steps after finding a passive investor who's interested in investing, which is to set up an introductory call and actually do the introductory call. You also learned how to overcome the you lack apartment experience objection before you've done your first deal. And so essentially how to get investors to invest in your first deal without you personally having done a deal before. So basically how to overcome that catch 22. And then we learned about the questions to expect from passive investors about your team and about your business plan. And so that was yesterday's episode. And we went over the first 15 of 49 questions. And we're going to jump in to those remaining 34 questions right now. So question 16 is, why should I invest in apartments? So again, these are questions that your passive investors will likely be thinking to themselves and might actually ask, or they might actually ask you these questions. So either way, you need to be prepared to answer them. And if they don't come up, you need to proactively answer these questions. So why should I invest in apartments? Well, again, going back to that company presentation template that is available for free at syndicationschool.com, there is a list of reasons why I and you like to invest in apartments. So as of Today, which is the beginning of 2019, historically, there is less risk and better returns with real estate investments overall compared to stocks and bonds. So that kind of says why we invest in real estate, but why we invest particularly in apartments is because there is decreasing home ownership, which means people are renting, and there is a decreasing apartment vacancy rate, which means demand is increasing, as well as an overall increasing in population. So... On the other hand, if they're asking why should I invest in apartments, then they're probably not going to invest in your deals at all, most likely, and they're definitely not going to invest in your first deal because it's going to take them some time to get comfortable with the apartment asset class if they don't know really anything about it. So fortunately for you, that's where your thought leadership platform comes into play, where you're going to educate people about the benefits of passive investing. So if someone asks this question, you can respond with the historical risks and returns and the population growth, vacancy decreasing, and, and those things. But you're also going to want to direct them towards your thought leadership platform so they can kind of learn more and get themselves educated before investing in your deal. Question 17, why did you decide to pursue the value-add business model? Or why did you decide to pursue the turnkey or the distressed business model? For us and for me, we do the value-add business model. And the reason why is because the value add essentially offers the best of the turnkey and the distressed. So for turnkey overall, there's going to be lower risk because all deferred maintenance is cured, properties up to market conditions. So you're not going to have to spend a ton of money on capital improvements. But at the same time, there's a lot lower upside potential because you're not able to add value. Distressed are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where there's A lot of upside potential, but there's also a lot more risk because if you're buying a property that's 50% occupied, if you are not able to increase the occupancy rate, then you're going to lose a ton of money. So for value add, kind of offers the best of both worlds. There's lower risk because you're buying a product that's already stabilized, 
but it's also that higher upside potential because you're going to take it from a C to a B, for example. So if you're doing value add, then you can explain why you do it. If you're doing turnkey or distress, then the answer is going to be a little bit different. 18. I want something that is low risk. So what are the major risk factors in investing in apartments? So the three main risk factors when investing in an apartment is the deal, the market, and the team. So we recommend that if someone asks this question, you explain what it is exactly you do to minimize the risks for the deal, for the market, and for the team. And the answers is for the deal, you want to make sure you're conservatively underwriting deals. For the market, you want to make sure that you are properly evaluating the market and so you follow the market evaluation strategy that we discussed in the previous indication school series. And then for the team, you want to make sure that you're hiring qualified, experienced team members. And then in addition to all of that, you want to make sure that you're also following and aligning with the three immutable laws of real estate investing, which a theme here we discussed in a past syndication school episode. And just as a reminder, those are one, buy for cash flow, two, secure long-term debt, and three, have adequate cash reserves. So if they want to know about the risk factors, you can say, the deal, the market, and the team are the major risk factors here. However, we conservatively underwrite deals by doing dot, dot, dot. We evaluated our target market across these 10 factors or these six factors, as well as we hired team members who have done you know, X amount of deals following this exact same business plan. And then also we make sure that we're buying for cash flow and not appreciation, that we are securing long-term debt and we have adequate cash reserves in place just in case the market were to go into a downturn. We'll have ourselves covered. Question 19, can you provide me with the worst case scenario for the typical investment from investors' point of view? Well, the worst case scenario is you lose all of the investors' money and then you have to do a capital call to try to turn the deal around and then you lose that money too. That's probably the worst case scenario. Unlikely to happen, but this is an investment, and like all investment, there are risks. But again, in that previous question, we discussed exactly what you're going to do to mitigate those risks. So you want to follow up with those strategies and not just saying, hey, we could lose all of your money, do a capital call, and lose all our money again. This is an investment, so you know things can happen. You want to also be like, but... It's unlikely to happen, and here are the policies and procedures we're putting in place to make sure that that does not happen. Question 20, how long do I have to keep my money in the deal? And being a passive investor is not liquid, so it's kind of depending on your agreement. Uh, They likely are not going to be able to pull their money out until the sale, unless they're able to sell their shares to someone else with the written consent of the general partnership. So... Just tell them that your money will be locked in for whatever your hold period is. So for Joe and for me, that'd be five years. Question 21, what happens if I want to use my invested money for something else? Can I pull it out? So the process for how or if an investor can pull their money out of the deal should be outlined in the private placement memorandum created by your attorney. And generally, the investors can sell their shares with the written consent of the general partnership. And they must find a qualified buyer and then that person must be approved by you. Or you can make it so that they're not allowed to get out at all or that only you can buy their shares. Kind of just depends on how the PPM and the agreement is structured. Question 22, how are you finding deals? Now at this point we haven't gone over how to find deals yet. So I will 
briefly touch on this question, and we'll definitely go into more depth on how to find deals in future episodes, but kind of going into the future, you'll know how you're finding deals at this point, so you'll tell them exactly what you are doing. And if you've done a deal in the past, you can also mention how you found that deal. But most likely, if you're talking to investors now, and we obviously haven't gone over how to find deals yet, authentication is cool. We've got plenty of blog posts on how to find deals. And you can also tell them, at least for now, that you're working with this real estate broker or these real estate brokers who are sending you deals on an ongoing basis. It's more of the off-market strategies that we haven't discussed yet that we probably would not be able to answer to right now, but you will be able to in the coming months once we've covered that in syndication school. Question 23, what markets are you currently focused on? We've already selected our one or two target markets in a previous syndication school series. So you want to explain why you selected those markets. Go through how you narrow down the 19,000 U.S. cities to seven based off of where you live and places you know and places that were on top 10 lists. And then you evaluate those seven markets across unemployment, population, supply and demand, employment, job diversity. And then based off of those factors, these were the top one or two cities to invest in. Then you actually visit those properties in person to do a more in-depth analysis and Maybe you disqualified one and kept the other one, for example. Question 24, do I have to submit my financials to anyone? So if you remember, in an earlier part of this eight-part series, we discussed the differences between the 506B and the 506C. So if you are doing a 506B offering, then they will not need to submit their financials to anyone. But if they're doing a 506C offering, then they actually will because they are not allowed to self verify that they are accredited for 506C. They can only do that for 506B. So if you're doing a 506C, the answer is yes. 506B, the answer is no. Question 25, who owns the property? Well, typically the property is going to be owned by an LLC that you set up, and then the investors are going to buy shares of that LLC, which means that the investors will not have any liability. Question 26, who manages the property? Is it a third-party management company or do you do your own management? And this kind of depends on you, but if you're just starting out, you likely are hiring a third party. So you are going to want to tell them that and as well as talk a little bit about their background and give some statistics on that property management company. So how many doors do they manage? How long have they been managing apartments? Have you worked with them in the past? Things like that. Again, they want to know that they're in good hands. Now, some experienced accredited investors might only invest in deals where the management company is in-house. There is actually sometimes even sellers will only sell to people who have in-house property management company just because there's that perception that if they have their own in-house property management company, they're more credible than someone who doesn't, which may or may not be actually true. It's just a perception thing. So again, this response depends on, on where you're at and whether or not you plan on doing your own management. If you're just starting off, definitely get a third party because you probably don't know how to actually manage an apartment unless that's your background. Question 27, what happens if the project fails? So similar to the worst case scenario question, you know, what happens if you lose all of your money? So obviously you want to begin by saying that you don't expect the project to fail, but of course the unexpected could happen. And with any investment, there are going to be risks and that before investing in any deal, they will be presented with all of these risks, which are in the PPM, and that even though there are those risks, you will always proactively address them, remembering that the main risks are the deal, the market, and the team, and you do so by conservatively underwriting the deals, 
and performing detailed due diligence once the deal's under contract. You do that by qualifying the market using those six or seven factors, and you only partner with team members who have past syndication success and not failures. Question 28. What types of reserves are typically established with each property to shield investors from any potential capital calls? So when we go over underwriting on syndication school, I will talk about the operating account fund, which is an upfront fund that you are able to fund using money from your passive investors. And that money is used as essentially a contingency if anything unexpected were to happen. And rather than having to go back to your investors for money, you can pull from that fund. So if there's unexpected dips in occupancy, if there's some renovation, some deferred maintenance issue that you didn't, for some reason, weren't able to find, things like that, you will be able to pull from that operating account fund to cover that expense. Question 29, what are my responsibilities? Again, this is one of those questions where if someone's asking this, then they probably aren't going to invest because they don't really know much about the process, but this question might come up, and if it does, just tell them that they're really their only responsibility is to fund the deal. And then maybe they could be a loan guarantor if you needed help signing on the loan, but they're called passive investors for a reason. Completely passive, they have no active involvement in the deal. And then question 30 is a follow-up question, what are your responsibilities? And the answer is everything else. So you and your team are responsible for finding deals, reviewing the, and qualifying the deals, making and negotiating offers, coordinating with professional property inspectors, making sure you find the best financing options, coordinating with your attorneys to create the LLC and different partnership documents, traveling to the property and the market to perform due diligence, hiring and overseeing the property management company, and then performing your asset management duties once the deal's under contract, including the money from the lenders to fund the renovations, making sure the business plan is executed properly, ongoing communication, distributions, evaluating the market, and then, of course, at the end, selling the deal. But again, those questions 29 30, what are my responsibilities and what are your responsibilities, they're likely going to know that already, unless they're a family and friend who doesn't have much experience with real estate or passive investing. Question 31, how much of a role do you personally take in overseeing the acquisition and management of the asset? And the answer is you're entirely responsible for the acquisition and the ongoing management of the asset, even if you've got a third-party management company. Question 32, do you guarantee a return? And the simple answer to this is no, you do not guarantee a return. The preferred return is not a guarantee. Don't ever use the word guarantee when talking to investors because they will hold you to that. And if you don't provide them with that return, again, you're going to lose that trust factor. Preferred return is offered, and if it's hit, it will be distributed. But if it's not hit, then whatever cash flow there is will be distributed. And I guess this naturally is in the next question, which is what happens if you can't make the projected cash flow? And ideally, your projected returns are higher than the preferred return to your investor. So if you're honoring a deal and you want to offer 8% preferred return to your investor, then ideally the deal has a 9% return so that you've got a buffer just in case you're not able to increase the rent premiums as much or decrease the expenses as much. But if you are unable to distribute the full preferred return, so if you projected 8%, if you want 8% preferred return, projected 9% cash flow, but are only hitting 7%, then the process really depends on what was agreed to. Usually the distribution will accrue until it can be paid out. And that might not be until the sale of the property. 
And of course, if the property loses money, then your investors won't be paid out that profit. Question 34, what does my money go towards? Specifically, if you actually have a deal, there's a list called the sources and uses section of the private placement memorandum, which will list out exactly where each dollar is going. And these categories include closing costs, renovation costs, depending on whether or not they're included in the loan, your operating account fund, origination fee, the fees paid out to you as a general partner, as well as the down payment for the loan. Question 35, how do you make money? Well, that will also be outlined in the PPM, and we also went over how you make money as a syndicator, one of the first syndication school series, and so you'll want to explain to them what types of fees you plan on charging, so whether it's an acquisition fee, ongoing asset management fee, the profit split, just be very transparent and let them know exactly how you make money on the deal, and then explaining your alignment of interest as well. Question 36, what is the minimum investment? So, again... This really depends on you. You probably don't want people investing $1 or $500. The juice is not worth the squeeze, so to speak. I know that for Joe, his minimum is fifty grand for first-time investors and then twenty-five grand for returning investors. But that is going to go up, and that is the 506B. So if you're doing 506B, you probably want to have a minimum. For 506C, since you're able to advertise for your deals... Again, you could set a high minimum or you could set a lower minimum and try to cast as wide a net as possible through advertising online and in print. You could have investors who bring as little as five grand and hope that they will grow over time. But again, if you are doing a 506B offering, which means you need to have a pre-existing relationship with your investors, you're going to want a minimum investment. And that's, again, going to be due to the opportunity costs of building that relationship over time, whereas for the 506C, you don't need to know them at all, so you could just send them one email or they can reply to an ad and invest five grand, whereas if you're spending all this time working on a relationship and they only spend five grand, that time could have been spent on cultivating a relationship with someone who could invest 50 grand or 100 grand or 500 grand, if you get what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, if you need to raise that last 100 grand, 20 people investing 50 grand is better than zero people investing 100 grand. All right, question 37. How does the process work after you find an investment? Well, typically what happens is once you place a deal under contract, which means that you have a signed purchase and sales agreement, you will notify the investors about the new opportunity. And then you're also going to want to include a link to the investment summary. This is a PowerPoint presentation that essentially looks like an offering memorandum. It goes into extreme detail on the deal. But unlike the offering memorandum, it's based off of your numbers and your analysis. And then you also invite them to a new investment offering call, which is either a conference call or a webinar, where you'll actually present the deals to the investors as well as answer any questions that they have. And then after that call, the interested investors will be able to verbally commit to invest in the deal. And then eventually they will sign the required documents to officially commit to the deal, and then they will wire their funds, and then we will close on the deal, at which point they will receive a closing email as well as information on what to expect on an ongoing basis. Question 38, what are you doing about the market correction that's coming? So that's probably a question that you are definitely going to get from at least one investor, especially right now since Real estate seems to have been on a hot streak, and 
luckily for you, we have a response to what happens in a down market, and that is the three immutable laws of real estate investing. So as long as you follow those three laws, you really don't care if the market is high or low. Because if you buy for cash flow, if you secure long-term debt, and you have adequate cash reserves, you're going to be able to, at the very least, survive a massive downturn. But more likely, you'll be able to thrive while others are pulling their hair out. Question 39. What contingency plan is there for these properties if we go into another concession? For that answer, I'd refer to the previous answer, which is the three immutable laws of real estate investing. All right, question 40 on the last nine. Are there any other asset classes that you focus on? Most likely, you are focusing on just apartments. But if you're focusing on other asset classes like mobile homes, self-storage, single families, just let them know. They might follow up by asking you what percentage of your time is spent on apartments just to make sure that you are spending an adequate amount of time on apartments. If you say, well, I'm only spending 10% of my time on apartments and 90% on mobile homes, then they're probably going to be hesitant to invest. Whereas if you say, well, I focus primarily on apartments, but on the side in my spare time, I buy single-family homes every once in a while. Question 41, is everyone notified at the same time when you have a new opportunity? Well, this will also depend on your strategy. Starting off, the answer is most likely going to be yes. And on an ongoing basis, Joe's company, they still notify all the investors on his email list at the same time when a new opportunity is under contract. Whereas other investors might just email their returning investors first, and then they might email people who haven't invested in a deal second. Or they might have a list of a couple of preferred investors who might be able to cover the entire down payment and anywhere in between. It kind of just depends on your preference and where you're at in your business. Question 42, who will be my point person? Ideally, the answer is you. And mention that you, and hopefully this is true about you, that you pride yourself on transparency and your communication timeliness. Because one thing that we know for sure is that investors really appreciate timely communication. So they really appreciate the monthly emails that are sent and they also appreciate having their questions responded to in a timely manner. So if they ask a question, don't wait a week or two weeks or a month to reply. The second you see it, take the time, take a couple of minutes to reply with an answer. And if you are super busy for some reason, then just reply quickly and say, hey, I got your question. I will reply to you this afternoon or reply to you tomorrow morning or tomorrow night. They will really appreciate that. And of course, as you grow and get really big, you've got hundreds of investor questions coming in. You can delegate some of that to an admin or an assistant or someone else on your team. Heck, you could just invite someone who's strictly responsible for investor relations if you get big enough. Question 43, can I invest with an LLC? And most likely the answer is yes. People will either invest in an LLC or they'll invest as an individual but make sure you have them talk to their CPA on how to invest with an LLC or as an individual and which one works best based off of their specific situation. So in general, you don't want to give out any legal or tax advice. You can give out general information, but always direct them to their CPA or attorney for the specifics. All right, question 44. What type of reporting do your investors receive? So what we do is we send out our monthly recap emails, and in those, we include occupancy rates, we include the number of units renovated, as well as the rental premiums demanded by those renovated units. We provide information on the ongoing capital improvement projects, and we'll also discuss any 
relevant market updates or companies moving to the area. And then we'll also discuss any resident events that happen, you know, Christmas parties, New Year parties, Thanksgiving parties, things like that. And then on a quarterly basis, we send out the profit and loss statement for the last 12 months, as well as a current rent roll. So again, that's what we do. That's probably, you know, covering all of our bases. You can do all of that yourself. You can do part of it. You can add something else in there. Really just depends on what you want to do and your preferences. 45, what other questions do you typically get from investors? Well, I've just gone over 44 questions, and so if they ask one of those 44 questions, which is highly likely, you can pick a few from there and answer those questions for them. 46, from your perspective, as an educated and or experienced investor, what other questions should I ask that I haven't already? Similar to the last question, you've got a whole list of questions that are common, and you can pick a few from that list and answer those. Question 47, if I want to talk to other investors or if I want to get references, is that something that can be arranged? Again, it's up to you, but we say yes. And be prepared to have a couple of hand-picked investors that you know are willing to talk to interested investors about passive investing. Question 48, if I want to invest, what would be the next steps? And the next steps are typically going to be adding them to your private email list and letting them know that once you have an opportunity that they will be notified immediately by being on the email list. And then lastly, question 49, do you have any tips you can pass to me as someone who is investing for the first time? One thing that you can say to them is to focus on risk mitigation and conserve opportunities at which point you can go into the three immutable laws of real estate investing, which again, if you don't have it memorized by now, then shame on you, but just to reiterate, that is the one, buy for cash flow, two, secure long-term debt, and three, have adequate cash reserves. So that concludes the 49 questions, nine team-related, 40 business plan-related, that you should expect from passive investors. Now, all these questions are not going to come up during a pre-deal conversation, right? This two-part series has taken over an hour, and you're not going to be having hour-long conversations with each investors. So if they don't come up, that's fine. They will eventually come up, though. They might come up once you actually have a deal under contract during the FAQ section. They might come up after you actually have closed on a deal, but at some point, you're going to have to answer all of these questions, which means that you're going to want to make sure you write the answers out to all of them so that you know you know the answers and you're not able to answer those when they come up from an investor because, again, that will reduce the trust factor. So this concludes the eight-part series about how to raise capital from passive investors. We did a high-level overview of everything you need to know about raising capital. So now you should be able to go out there and start to generate verbal interest from investors. That concludes this episode. To listen to the other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications and to download the free documents that we are offering for this series as well as past series, all of that can be found at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow on Fall on Friday. Finally, there's a simple way to track rental performance. Stessa, our best ever sponsor, lets real estate investors track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate portfolios for 
free. Go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. You'll always know how your properties are performing with this dashboard. It's a beautiful looking dashboard and it will help you save time with smarter income and expense tracking. You don't have to do any more data entry. Just upload the stuff directly from your phone. It tracks it in real time. Get organized for tax time with tax-ready financials so you can download them instantly. This thing was built by investors for real estate investors. It's been featured in all the publications you can think of. To get set up with your free account, just add your properties, link your accounts, and everything else updates in real time. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best ever to get started. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.